millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about the new Kesha album, Rainbow, and the BBC Three sketch show, Coconut. We've also read Leanne Shapton's memoir, Swimming Studies, for the first time. So we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. I just got back from Helsinki, which was very exciting. Which is in Finland, right? It is in Finland. Okay, good. I think it's the capital of Finland. It's definitely the biggest, like, most popular city in Finland. It could be one of those countries that has a weird pretend capital but yeah it was great I was actually there for a music festival called Flow Festival which I hadn't really heard of before but it's a music festival right in the center of Helsinki it's on an abandoned not abandoned but a former power plant on the grounds of that so it's like all concrete no grass which means no mud when it rains which is great oh amazing yeah and it was actually really really fun so the headliners were like Lana Del Rey Frank Ocean the XX people like that and I actually had a really really good time I also saw one of my favorite singers Angel Olsen and she was amazing so yeah it was just so fun and I really can't recommend Helsinki enough as like a place yeah it looked great on your Instagram and I have to say uh everyone who schleps over to Barcelona for Primavera and stuff I thought Hmm, maybe this Helsinki thing is a just as affordable but nicer option. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the acts definitely did Primavera. And I know the XX did. Did Frank Ocean? I think maybe he was meant to and he dropped out, I think, maybe. And there's also like a bunch of festivals like that in Scandinavia. I know there's one in Oslo in Norway, which had a lot of the same artists and was just a few days before. So I definitely think maybe Scandinavia is a good alternative to the Mediterranean, Western European music festivals. Because I went to Benicassim, which is, yeah, just outside Barcelona for a music festival years ago. And it was so hot that I like fainted three times. Uh, which is like I mean that's a very me problem to have because I'm like a fainter famously yeah I fainted during Arctic Monkeys and got put in this little tent and I'm like such a secret massive Arctic Monkeys stan and I was like desperately (laughs) upset this was a lot more my speed it was a good good time so yeah everyone go to Helsinki it's great it's the best yeah it sounds great well while you've been in Finland I've been putting all my stuff in boxes and moving it from one end of the country to the other so I have now officially moved amazing how do you feel I feel mostly stressed about having to unpack but otherwise (laughs) good unpacking though 
it can be a treat when you like have your life like way more organized than it was before that's true i am quite excited about the possibility of greater organization Mm. i have had to send my boyfriend off to work because he kept trying to help oh no (laughs) how dare he have you thought about um, con what's it called con marrying your stuff the marie condo method oh i'm way into that okay very very into that i love rolling up the (laughs) t-shirts have you been thinking about whether stuff sparks joy this whole unpacking time oh yeah i've already found made a huge heap of stuff that's going to charity it's it's great it's gonna be very cleansing amazing well godspeed with your quest (laughs) yeah well before we crack on into the rest of today's episode we should also just flag there are still tickets available for game of thrones quiz on the 12th of september and live episode at the london podcast festival on the 17th of september what a week and i should also say on the 17th i am doing a kind of extra workshoppy thing after we've done our live episode i may or may not drag anna into this i haven't decided (laughs) yet or in fact asked her (laughs) but yeah i'm doing a little workshop with i think it's only about 30 35 people on if you have a podcast how to promote it on social media that's cool so if you are interested in that you can get tickets same link as for the rest of it seriouslypod.com forward slash london podfest great well i'm so excited what a week of seriously events that will be Mm. rolling on with the show the first thing we're going to talk about this week is rainbow which is the new album from kesha it was released on august 11th and is her third studio album the release of rainbow marks kesha's first substantial music release since she got embroiled in a legal dispute with her producer and alleged abuser Dr. Luke. So it's a big release for Kesha fans. I feel like there's been a lot of, not necessarily hype, but media interest in this album in the coming weeks towards its release. Yeah, I feel like there's been so much interest in the case, obviously, because I think it's a fairly unique situation. Mm. An artist suing a longtime producer and supposed mentor for abuse, sexual assault, but also because she wants out of the recording contract that forces them to be in continued contact. Mm. So yeah, lots of interest in like the legal point. And then also there was this big question mark over whether Kesha could make music at all while this was going on, right? Yeah, totally. And she tried to make new music with a, with a new band and she wasn't allowed to do that so she's had to continue this is still released via sony so dr luke does still have some sort of hypothetical involvement i think but has not actually produced this record or been involved with the production of it yeah it's unclear how much he's been involved in i read one story that said that he intends to pursue her via the courts for money relating to it or something so the legal thing drags on and becomes more and more complicated it's also been particularly complicated i think because she sued him and then he countersued her so we've there's like a whole bunch of different disputes going on all under the same umbrella which i yeah Mm. it's just really complicated but meanwhile we have this record and one question i wanted to ask you right at the beginning is do you think it's necessary to separate the music from all the media stories about Kesha or can you sort of read the two together? It's a hard question because in an ideal world you could be like right we're just going to take this record on its own terms and not worry about any of the surrounding context but you also just can't like we've already read all these stories we already know about it I mean it would have been pretty impossible for me to try and listen to this in a vacuum because there's just so much out there I mean, it feels intentional, perhaps not, but a lot of the the music on this record, it is commenting on and responding to that context for me. Like, there are references 
throughout the album to coming through struggles and praying for other people to find redemption and you know feeling broken and getting through it all of that stuff for me feels although always kept very vague it does seem to me like it is commenting on that external context so it would be pretty hard to separate it yeah and when the first single praying came out and which has an absolutely gorgeous video mm. i think the way it, people responded to it everywhere was you know this is a survivor's anthem mm, totally. people read very literally into the lyrics and the whole vibe of the thing that this was kesha's response to her you know years long fight to get away from her alleged abuser mm. and yeah i think it's a beautiful song especially if you do imbue it with that i've just been thinking about this whole matter of sort of context and separating music from it because i was trying to examine for myself would i be paying this much attention to a kesha album if this hadn't all happened maybe that's an academic question because it has all happened mm. but i liked her kind of boozy slightly rappy stuff a few years ago as much as the next person who enjoyed it when it came on yeah when you were dancing kind of thing but i wasn't like invested in her as an artist in the way that maybe i am now yeah and i think people would not expect kesha to necessarily produce powerful music until this situation happened and she started to produce music that seemed to be commenting on it, that seemed to be empowering for women who have felt that they have been subjected to patriarchal, you know, violence or discrimination or whatever. And yeah, I think the expectations for the record have changed as a result, even if Kesha maybe does have, you know, powerful ballads and empowerment songs on some of her other records. They certainly weren't like part of her branding before or part of what you mm. would seek out that record for. So definitely the context has changed people's expectations for the music. And there are lots of songs that kind of fit that bill. So you mentioned Praying, which is the lead single off the record, which is amazing, I think. It like builds very well because oh, yeah. Kesha doing a piano ballad could be quite boring. And that song just isn't isn't boring at all. It's got a real punch to it because it does, you know, the textures increase as it goes along. You get more instruments coming in, the pace increases. And then you get this amazing, like supernatural high note that she does towards the end. And mm. it really, yeah, it really packs a strong punch, that song. But there are others as well, like Rainbow, the title track, the opening track on the album is called Bastards and it's kind of like yeah. a more acoustic, like firesidey, sing-songy type thing. But it still kind of has that like don't let the bastards grind you down message to it, which, yeah, mm. I do enjoy those songs, but they're not necessarily what you would expect Kesha to have made if you were thinking of her in 2009. Yeah, definitely. My memory from that is weirdly tied up with an early episode of Glee. I don't know if you ever watched glee that i did but i did some of the earlier it, seasons it's one of the very first performances that the new directions do they do TikTok in a school assembly and <laughs> the headmaster <laughs> announces it and goes and now here we have the new directions performing a song by k dollar sign ha uh, yeah <laughs> and for some reason that really stuck in my memory as being the archetypal kesha thing yeah, yeah. somehow also because one of the characters then voms during the song yeah, having I'm really drunk too much recalling that particular glee performance but that was the, of course the biggest selling single of 2009 worldwide so it was mm. absolutely massive that's the one about you know before i leave to brush my teeth with a bottle of jack and like mick jagger boys and you know wake up in the morning feeling like p diddy all of that stuff for me the best bits on the new album are kind of like that 
I really mm. love Kesha's silly aside. You know, I think that she's got this really wicked sense of humor that I think made that song stand out from other party songs tiktok like the lyrics were just a bit like wait what did she just say like that's quite weird yeah in a way that you know it's still really really like party vibey and really really like fun i really liked let them talk on this album because for me it sounded like you know all the movies like in the early noughties that Lindsay lohan was in and at the yeah. end Lindsay lohan would like with her pop rock band like sing some sort of like rocky cover of like a pop song mm -hmm. that's what that sounds yeah. like to me <laughs> that's what let them talk sounds like it sounds like Lindsay lohan could be playing it at the end of the teen movie in the best possible way you know yeah what did you make of the slightly countryish feel to some of it because i have to say i was less of a fan of those songs than i was of either the straight ballads or the more pop bangery type stuff yeah so i feel like hunt you down is one of the ones you're thinking of there which is the one where she's like I never killed somebody, never buried a body. Like that one. Yeah. Sorry for my terrible singing. I thought that was great. I love that one. I mean, I don't know how much I would listen to it just for like, you know, its musical qualities, but the lyrics are really, really funny. And I like that she, despite having, you know, been put through all these allegations of basically being a crazy liar, you know, and being insane and blah, blah, blah. I like that she can still really revel in that crazy girl persona she sort of had before. And that song is all about, yeah, being like so crazy in love that you'll like hunt your man down if he cheats on you. And, you know, there are lyrics in it that just say, yeah, like, I'm crazy. I'll do it. And I like that because it's so much fun. And it would be such a shame if that part of Kesha had to die because she was worried about how she would come across and like how that might affect her, you know, credibility and, and whatever. So for me kind of like musical <laughs> musical quality aside there was something i just loved about that song another one that i was not such a fan of i have to say is boogie feet i listened to the album three times through straight and each time found myself wanting to skip that one yeah <laughs> i wasn't convinced that yeah i agree but then on the other hand there are some other absolutely amazing tracks like i thought him was really good yeah the lyrics in that i read a great piece by ira madison the third where he opened his article basically saying that Kesha is trying to construct a new religion based on lived experience and this is the evidence wow, that's cool. which I thought was a really compelling that argument like a great piece. yeah I liked the lyric in him that said I know that I'm perfect even though I'm fucked up I thought that was a really nice mm. lyric and yeah there are definitely moments like that that are great I think my favorite one on the record was Woman. Yes. Well, that's got a, just a really catchy tune, hasn't it? It's got a really and catchy a really, tune. really, like, fuck you vibe. Yeah, totally. It's a real, like, empowerment ladies' night out song, which is obviously, like, such a canon in pop music. And I just thought it was so, so joyful. Like, that, it was just all about fun. And it was all, you know, about, you know, women-only spaces. There's no men involved. And I love that there's just, like, full-on, like, ridiculous laughter. Like, there's uh, the vocal mm -hmm. in it just has all this laughter and it's full of swearing, you know, about being a motherfucking woman. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really, you know, Kesha at her best for me. Yeah, so I'd say musically for me, it's a slightly uneven album with some really high points in it but also I feel like it's going to be for years to come a kind of pop culture artifact mm. because of all that's happened Kesha is now a kind of historic artist for reasons beyond her control mm. and this is the music she made while it was happening yeah 
it is totally a fascinating piece of work and i just have so much respect for her and i really respect a that she's spoken up for herself like outside of a musical context but b how much of the old kesha has survived in this album Mm. that for me is a real triumph that she's allowed herself to be as boozy and glittery and silly and crazy as she ever was and i have so much respect for that and now performing the hit single tick and also talk by rapper key dollar sign ha the new directions wake up in the morning feeling like p diddy grab my glasses i'm out the door i'm gonna hit this city before i leave brush my teeth with a bottle of jack cause when i leave for the night i ain't coming back i'm talking pedicure on Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now we're going to talk about Coconut, which is a BBC Three short form mockumentary starring the YouTuber Hamza Ahmed. He plays a young guy called Ahmed Armstrong trying to establish himself as, quote, a gentleman documentarian for a TV network called Pack Nation. It's very much in a mockumentary style. It's all single camera and it's quite heavily satirising people on both the far left and the far right, I would say. It's quite, quote, political. Yeah, it's definitely very political and there's lots of conversations about Brexit Britain and the kind of central joke of the whole thing is that this guy, Ahmed, is trying really hard to uh, align himself as, like, he wants people to see him as very thoroughly British. You know, he's from Pakistan and he tries to do that by loving Katie Hopkins and loving, like, really, really right-wing kind of aristocratic British stuff. Um, and I think the title coconut comes from that kind of slang term for someone who's like brown on the outside, white on the inside. So that's like the, the central joke of the of the show that he's like aligning himself with 
white right-wing very like patriotic brits in the process sometimes says like racist or like hurtful or just ill-informed ignorant things and he seems like quite genuinely mean to his colleagues as well <laughs> yeah definitely he's not well in the ones i've i think i've watched three so far they're only seven minutes long i have no sympathy for him whatsoever and overall i didn't have a great kind of sympathy with the show actually i wasn't really sure what it was trying to do there was maybe only one moment where i felt there was some genuine tension or satire going on which is when ahmed goes to film a segment where he interviews an actual brexit voting white person and Mm. he asks her so why did you vote to leave europe and she doesn't say anything there's a really long pause and then she goes foreigners and the point being that she's uncomfortable about saying that to someone she perceives as an actual foreigner right Mm. in person Mm. in her face and that Mm. I was like yeah fair like that is that is a genuine piece of satire but for the rest of it I was like this guy's just being a dick to people in a way that I don't really find funny yeah and I don't know if it's just because I don't have much experience of someone like Ahmed's character like I don't I don't know very many people who are like that, who, you know, are trying really, really hard to get on board with, like, really far right-wing Brexit Mm. policies. And maybe if I did, I would, like, find this more, like, relatable humour. And that's obviously a reflection of me, not the show. But I also felt that this show was a bit constrained by the format. And the mockumentary format has been around, obviously, for such a long time. And things like The Office changed the way that comedy functions so dramatically and that was you know 20 years ago and bbc3 at the moment has a real line in mockumentary i feel like so aside from coconut they've had people just do nothing they've had this country they've had things like simon amstel's veganism mockumentary Mm. carnage and it's obviously just a line in british comedy that is still really flourishing this kind of genre of like mockumentary often with like quite difficult characters in there comedy for me really only works when people are likable or have a sympathetic streak in them i like comedy where you can really kind of like feel warmth towards the character and and that's that's why I liked this country so much, because even though they were silly and, and stupid characters, this is a BBC Three mockumentary set in like Gloucestershire, which we did recently. And those characters, even though they're like really doing stupid stuff all the time, you're really like rooting for them and they feel very true to human experience in a, in a very specific way. And I think sometimes mockumentary can go the other way and try and do stuff that's like, look at all these ridiculous comedy characters and go a bit too David Brent if you know what I mean because the bits of The Office UK I didn't like were the bits that were just like David Brent being horrible to everyone I liked The Office because I liked kind of Tim, Dawn and Gareth these other characters who were much more human that's where Coconut falls down a little bit for me and there was a piece in Vice uh, in May this year that said you know like the mockumentary needs to die in order for British comedy to thrive which isn't something that I necessarily believe but it cited a lot of sort of current mockumentaries that feel quite tired and feel quite dated and for me coconut might be one of them even though there are obviously things about it that are new like that it's got a like diverse cast of you know fun characters and so on but for me there was something about it that felt a little bit too david brand yeah i agree it it does feel like those bits of the office where it was just david brent and you almost wanted to fast forward through to something 
else or skip you know i think they have made that cardinal sin of not making any of the characters likable or or maybe they are potentially likable but we never get towards that because each episode is only seven minutes and therefore the potential to develop any kind of rapport with them is so difficult so limited i think that's really true as well the length of the episodes while an interesting decision from BBC Three because Hamza Ahmed, who is the, the who plays the lead and I think wrote most of Coconut, he is a YouTuber who did a web series called Diary of a Badman that had like, you know, his early Diary of a Badman videos from like 2011 have like five million views plus. Mm. So you know he's obviously really got talent and really tapped into something, and I think actually although he's made this web series before that is, you know, much shorter, I think maybe these would have been better if they had been slightly longer and they had a bit more room to move around in and, you know, you had more time with the characters, as you say. Yeah, I'm so interested at the moment in this whole, like, YouTube to TV pipeline that people are trying to develop. You know, we talked about a few episodes, that fantasies thing, which is a attempt to sort of dramatize fan fiction yeah. starring about youtubers starring youtubers we we didn't had, like that did we we didn't like it and we're not fans of this either and i wonder if part of the problem is that rather than looking at a youtuber and going well they've got an amazing audience and they're a really talented on-screen presence what can we put them in that takes advantage of that rather producers go what can we make that's almost like youtube not on youtube i.e on our Mm. platform Mm. how can we make this internet friendly how can we make yeah yeah which is maybe the wrong approach there's a documentary that was, I've completely forgotten the name of the woman who presented it, but there's a documentary that's been on iPlayer for a while that's called The Truth About Clean Eating or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's presented by a YouTuber who is a kind of body positivity and health vlogger. So rather than getting her to make a web series, they were like, would you like to present a documentary about these issues that you are very knowledgeable about? And she mm. did a really good job. Yeah, so I wonder that's if that's more the way of getting these people kind of more onto mainstream platforms without making cringy stuff like this. There were things I liked about this as well. I really like the character of, is it Camilla, who's Ahmed's wife? He essentially married her for a a British passport is, is the joke. But she's like really into fashion and she like seems like a bit of an airhead and she like just got her job at pack nation because he gave it to her after they got married and but there's something you you get a sense that there's more to her than Mm. than appears on the surface but found her really really funny and so there are definitely like moments of great writing there they're just not being shown off in the way that they could be i think and i think part of the problem with that is that is just the the tiredness of the format yeah i do wish actually that maybe they'd commissioned a like half hour sitcom from hamza ahmed maybe in a more conventional style and give him like 30 minutes six episodes to explore because i think that could have worked but yeah, it, I find it really interesting to see BBC Three like pushing so many of these mockumentaries and of, I think, quite varied quality. And you do mm. occasionally get one that's really good. But I'm interested to see how long that lasts because <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yeah, if you think it's the kind of thing that you might be interested in, definitely check it out and share your thoughts. I, I'm, we, we'd love to hear other people's thoughts on this as well because it's just good to get that, that range of opinion. So do email us with your thoughts on Coconut if you've seen it and loved it or hated it, just mm. get in touch. Seriouslypod at gmail.com. Mm.
So, on to the recommends. It wasn't last week, it was actually a few weeks ago that we said we would do Swimming Studies by Leanne Shapton, which is a kind of memoir about swimming, but Shapton's an artist, so it's interspersed with all these, you know, nice sort of paintings and drawings. It's about Shapton's experience of basically training to be an Olympic level swimmer uh, when she was younger. She was at one point ranked eighth nationally for Canada. It's kind of about that experience of being a teenager who is just basically training constantly and what her relationship with that was like. It's a lovely book. The way that she goes into it is not like, oh, this is how I felt about spending this much time away from my friends and family. It's much more about like, this is how it felt to have this relationship with a swimming pool and this relationship with my body and, you know, little very precise specific details of her memories of of doing it which for me is a great way of writing because as someone who obviously has no experience of being an olympic level swimmer it's great to hear those little kind of tidbits that you wouldn't necessarily expect like her talking about putting ice on the back of her knee until the back of her knee goes numb and stuff that kind of thing is just something i would never even think about yeah i found it brilliant for that reason as well that i learned so much about the technicalities of swimming Mm. while at the same time i feel like understanding how she specifically felt about it And Mm -hmm. there's also so much lovely writing about water and how it feels to be in water and wanting to be in water, which is really, really beautiful. I feel like a lot of it's written in the present tense as well, isn't it? It's like in fragments. Yeah. Very immediate. You feel not like this is someone looking back on their teenage years. This is someone reliving them for you on the page, which is a very hard technique to pull off, but very clever. And I think you can tell that this is done by a visual artist because or not even visual but but an artist because it feels a lot more like sketches and that's why it's called swimming studies I guess because Mm. it's like when you do loads of studies for a big painting and you paint sort of the same thing over and over and you get like a real sense of the detail of that subject and that's basically what she's gone for here I've got a couple of quotes that kind of illustrate that so I really liked this bit where she talks about a swimmer mid-race kind of coming up and up and down through the water And she says, as her head breaks the surface, the roar of the crowd is, with each breath, loud then quiet, loud then quiet, a chorus of warbled pops and splashings burst against the sides of her cap. So it's really that kind of like level of feeling and what it actually feels like to be mid-race and be in Mm. the water. And it's it's a much better way of getting you right into the action of it. I don't know. I really, I really appreciated the precision of her writing, definitely. Yeah, there's another bit I really liked where she talks about athletes' relationship with pain, where she says there's two mm-hmm. different kinds of pain. There's the kind of pain that you feel constantly all the time because you're pushing your body to its limit every single day and you don't ever stop to rest. And then there's the kind of pain that you actually have to worry about where you can't get in the pool because your knees bust, that kind of thing. And as as someone mm-hmm. who's never, ever been remotely sporty or tried hard at anything <laughs> physical, so I didn't realise that you were just always in pain. Ah. 
that's, yeah, that's worth it's knowing. So interesting. I, I'm going to think about that next time I watch, like, you know, the World Athletics Championships have just been on in London and stuff. So there's been like more yeah. visibility for that sport. And I was like, ah, so you guys, your legs all just really hurt all the time then. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I c- cannot relate, I have to say. I really liked as well her talking about how her relationship with other things change, like her relationship with food seems quite specific mm. in that context because, you know, like a swimmer's diet is like full of carbs and stuff and she's like really into these kinds of like donuts and things that there's, there's like lovely writing about you know the nostalgia she feels for these kind of very specific brand of donuts or whatever that they all used to eat in the pool and that kind of thing and also even things like her relationship with time is different as a swimmer there's a whole bit where she talks about you know everything is measured in like hundredths and tenths of seconds and to, that that's just a completely different relationship with time to have she says of like drills and things time passes with precision in a workout every minute every second is felt and accounted for in other words time passes slowly and then she says i'm surprised to find then watching practice from the deck that it passes quickly so that's like when she's back as an adult watching Mm. other people swim she like can enjoy watching the workout like you would watch a tv show and it just kind of drifts by and passes quite quickly and it's that completely different relationship with time and different perspective on the workout yeah, I don't know. I just find that a really interesting thing because you wouldn't expect a hobby to change your literal conception of like how time passes. And yet for Shapton, it has. And that's the kind of detail that I really liked. I have to say, sometimes it got too detailed for me <laughs> <laughs> in that there, there were details about like just the way that swimming works. That I'm like not that interested as some, I don't know, I love swimming. And as I said earlier in the podcast I've been in Helsinki this week and I was like swimming in the sea in the in the Baltic Sea which was really cold and really really amazing and so I do love talking about swimming but there are like details like for example here she says in brackets some Olympic standard pools have 10 lanes but the races only use the middle eight of those 10 and you're like that's a detail that I don't really care for it doesn't give me an insight into your life that's just like I don't know like boring swimming pool fact that I'm not so super hyped by but I understand that it's sometimes important for the narrative as a whole for her to to have that level of detail. So, yeah, I I don't know. I I felt it added to the whole picture. I I did really like the visual elements of this book as well, though. So there's a series of photographs in the middle of like swimming costumes that she'd had and little notes about where she bought them and where she wore them and what they were for. And they're a mixture mm-hmm. of you know this is the costume I used to wear for racing in. This is a like nice bikini that I bought at a vintage store to go on holiday with and it really gives you that sense of swimming as part of her life as something that she does everywhere wherever she goes she will get in the hotel pool and see what it's like so that I felt was an unconventional way of conveying that and then also there's some there's some nice paintings as well of her fellow swimmers uh, and yeah. little salient facts about them based on these watercolours that I liked as well. Those swimsuits are so interesting, you're right, because it's, it's almost like a museum artefact. They're sort of put on models, they're not like on her. No, they're posed, aren't they, on mannequins? Yeah, it's like a museum exhibition and it's a way of like cataloguing your life in a way that's really interesting. I like seeing kind of emotional things presented as I don't know like cultural artifacts or like factual things Mm. it's a really nice way to get into kind of like the history of of her as a person and her life and there are other lovely eccentric bits that I liked like there's a there's a bit called 14 odors where there's kind of like a splash of color on the page that I guess is kind of like a synesthetic 
imagining of mm. you know visualizing the colors of those smells and then the descriptions of of what the smells are and i do think swimming is something like we all remember this the smell of our local swimming pool when we were growing up or the smell of like having chlorine in your hair afterwards mm. or and they do say smell is the sense that takes you back into your memories the most if that makes sense like if you smell a really specific food that you used to grow up with you're suddenly back there that some of the ones that she's gone for a teammate's hair wrist beneath watch strap wet team towel ladies locker room toilet stall and then she like describes all the different smells kind of involved and yeah that it's just a lovely a lovely way to kind of like get into a particular person's experience mm. it's amazing yeah i'd say as a memoir it does that better than most other that i've read in terms of sinking you directly into someone else's experience as you say sometimes mm. in too detailed a way but <laughs> You can't fault it for kind of putting you somewhere else and having you look through someone else's eyes. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me to read stuff by people who work predominantly in another media. So she mm. is predominantly like a, an artist. A friend gave me another one of her books. It's called like Native Trees of Canada. And it's just like all the different leaves and stuff of different trees in her style. It's really nice. And I think, yeah, you can, even though sometimes the writing in this is maybe not as like, I don't know, like not quite as clear or poetic or you know as kind of perfect as like if we were reading this book by a novelist might be like it's you can, you can kind of tell that it's not her primary art form mm. but I don't mind because it kind of becomes quite interesting as a result you know sometimes it feels a bit rough around the edges and like there's maybe like a better way of expressing what she's talking about it's just yeah it's just so unique so I really really like that mm. Yeah, we should say thank you very much to uh, Seriously Listener Isabel Greenberg for the original recommendation. I definitely wouldn't have read this without that. Yeah, so what about next week? What are we doing then? For next week, we are going to listen to an album. Philippa has emailed in to say, Long-time listener, approx fourth-time emailer. Very precise, I like it. I don't know if you're interested in music for your recommend segment, we definitely are but I've just happened upon an album that I think you might enjoy it's called No Shape and is by a queer artist called Perfume Genius it's twinkling and explosive and gives me all the feels knowing that you like Lord makes me think that you might like it so we are going to give that a go for next week well full confession I do already know this album and I do really like this album so this is maybe a recommend mostly for you but I'm confident you'll enjoy it. I've heard the episode of Song Exploder with Perfume Genius. Oh, I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, it was really recent. Oh, I'll check that out. That made me really want to check out the whole album and then I didn't get round to it. So this is a very good nudge for me to do that. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I'll. Ha you listen to the album, I'll listen to the Song Exploder. How about that? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. On seriouslypod.com, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're also available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. If you've really enjoyed the episode, why not go to iTunes and give it a rating and a review? It helps other people find the show. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.